Hello, this is Martin McKay from the Network Security Podcast. And this is Christian Riley from the Eurotrash Security Podcast. You're listening to the official podcast for the 24th Annual FIRST Conference. This will be held in Malta on June 17th through June 22nd of 2012. For more information about FIRST, please visit www.first.org. And now we join our interview in progress. I'd like to introduce Patrick Kane, who is the Resident Research Fellow at the APWG, and he's going to be giving a talk at FIRST called Sharing Crime Data Across International Frontiers. First of all, how are you doing today, Patrick? I am doing fine. This is a, a very interesting topic to, to, I think, everybody at FIRST, but also a lot of people outside of FIRST. How do you go about sharing this crime statistics? How do you do it in a way that maintains privacy? How do you do it in a way that maintains legal boundaries? Well, let me back up a little bit. Uh, the, because you said the crime statistics, what we're really trying to do is share the honest-to-goodness crime data going back and forth amongst countries. Um, lots of people now share IP addresses. You know, here's a list of infected IP addresses. Um, here's a list of spammers. Here's a list of stuff like that. And what we found out is if we're really actually trying to go find which of the criminal gangs is behind something, we have to have more data than just the IP address. So we've been moving from just sharing little bits of data up the stack, I guess you would say, to share um, events, which is here's some IP addresses, here's what they were doing. And then some correlation amongst different people who give us data to say, hey, here's this big blob of stuff. We know what this guy is doing in this country and you know, here's where he lives. Well, the I mean, problem is okay. trying to get that data across national boundaries. You run into all these odd kind of challenges like um, privacy things or the person speaks the wrong language or things like that have happened. So what we've been trying to do is develop a, a way that I could say, hey, I'm in the U.S. Some guys in Brazil and in Japan gave me some data about something bad that's happening. How do I munch that all together and ship it off to the cop who's in Botswana where the bad guy is so he can actually go arrest the guy? And that attribution is very hard. I mean, that's one of the first things that, that I see is is getting that attribution of who it actually is and, and more than just that IP address. That's That sounds kind of hard. Um, it's a challenge in a number of ways, um, one of which is that everybody has different names for the same set of people. And so, you know, you'll joke about, hey, it's crime gang number six, and people look at you kind of funny, and then somebody will say, oh, it's Bob. You're right. We know that guy. Um, but... If you get enough data, it's actually pretty easy to actually narrow down who you think is behind something. For example, um, a lot of the crime gangs use the same uh, network providers. They use the same kind of code in various places. Um, they talk to the same sets of people. And even without getting into the privacy problems thing, you can easily n narrow it down to, hey, it's that guy. But if they're using some of the same service providers, doesn't that indicate that some of those service providers are aware of what's going on and, and are willing to support it for the money that they make? It, it's always hard to tell. As an ex-service provider, we used to have people who claim that we had spammers on our network just so we could charge people more money. Uh, and most of the security groups, particularly the operations guys, don't have enough people to deal with all their problems. And so if you can give them some useful set of tools so they can go find stuff, then they take care of the bad guys. There's very few, honest to goodness, black providers, or at least what, that's what people call them, um, in the world. 
there's a lot of them that are actually so overwhelmed you can kind of sneak in. It sounds like security professionals in general in most networks. Yes, yes. And, and, and the, the goal, one of the drivers of the thing we're doing is trying to come up with a standard set of formats and a standard set of procedures so we can say, hey, I made this great set of tools. Now let's give it to 50 other people and immediately they can be doing the same stuff. And how open are service providers to, to really taking action against their own users for doing things that, that breach their terms and services? Are they, are they eager to do it or is it one of those things where you really have to push them to actually get any kind of action? You meet a whole uh, broad range of that. Um, and um, in some cases, we're sending messages to a national cert or to a national provider. And most of them will acknowledge what's going on somehow. Um, some of the less developed countries, the challenge is finding the right person. And then once you've found the right person, then they're actually pretty happy about it. Um, since we're also feeding stuff to the cops um, or the, the law enforcement guys, we run into some interesting things because there's a different set of rules for the providers versus the policemen. Um, for example, I can't grab some stuff and ship it off to Germany or Poland or India and say, hey, go arrest this guy because here's this email message. We have to follow the rules of evidence or things like that. So it becomes a little bit more, a little bit more challenging when you get away from just the techie guys into the, the rest of the, the infrastructure in the world. And that's where a lot of the challenges are. I can imagine that's probably a significant overhead, probably more than some of the technical information that you're trying to put through. Um, it, it's not so much a... Uh, an information problem as it is a language problem. And one of the things we've been working on is kind of a taxonomy of crime because uh, people in different parts of the world will in fact use the same, a different term to talk about the same thing. You know, in phishing, you, everybody kind of knows what phishing is. Um, if you get a letter, which we finally call a 49 scheme in the U.S., um, it's really called advanced fee fraud in most of the Pacific. Um, and so if you're talking to somebody about a 49 scam and he's an Australian policeman, he looks at you kind of funny until he figures out that you're using the same terminology, using different terminology to mean the same thing. And so we've been working on the universal crime language thing just so when I can put a blob of stuff together and ship it off to the you know, federal police of Poland, um, they in fact will smile and say, oh, we know exactly what he's talking about. And that's been by far the biggest challenge. I mean, everybody wants data. The problem is putting it into a format that they can understand. Are you encountering a lot of issues with once they have the data of people having the technical skills and the, the people, the, the time to actually do anything with it? We, we run into two things, one of which is if we um, don't do the multilingual support properly, then you get someone who sends us data and they're trying to translate it to English to make us feel better, and then we ship it to another country who may not be English speaking as a first language, and they have no concept of what we're talking about. So a lot of the time it's been, hey, if the guy, the, the person who's reporting this stuff speaks Spanish, they should be able to put it in Spanish and ship it to us. And then we'll worry about making it into English. And if we ship it to the Chinese guys, they can figure out how to make it to Spanish to Chinese part. So they'll be able to understand it more. Um, that's actually one of the bigger, bigger kind of problems. Um, we haven't run into the, hey, here's a whole bunch of really good data, you know, go do something with it. And they come back and go, uh, I don't know, this is kind of hard. Uh, many times we'll hear stories that say, you know, my national police doesn't have the manpower to go deal with this right now, but we're going to save it. And when we get enough, we're going to go in and, you know, beat the prosecutor over the head with a, a stack of paperwork and maybe we'll go arrest the guy.
<laughs> I, I think that there's a lot of people who like the idea of beating the over the the prosecutors over the head with a bunch of paperwork. Yeah, part of the challenge though is a lot of those guys are armed, and so you have to kind of be nice when you talk to them. <laughs> Uh, I guess this where it helps uh, that you're communicating with them over the internet. You don't have to stand in front of them and try and explain it to them. Yeah, w one of my uh, jobs, at, at, besides being the research fellow at the APWG, is I do a lot of international travel to talk to people and to meet people so that when they get stuff from us or they're having a problem, they can actually come back to us and say, hey, can you help me? Um, I was at a, a meeting once in, a, uh, in about a year ago, and a, a gentleman from Eastern Europe was complaining that he had lots of stuff, but he didn't have any tools to use to be able to, to uh, crack down on some of the things that were going bad. And I said, oh, wait, what kind of tools do you need? And he said, well, I don't really have anything. And so we shipped him a couple CDs, and now he's my friend for life. It's like, oh, you gave me the stuff I need. So much like on First, uh, when somebody finds something useful, they share it, and pretty soon, you know, 80 countries of, of First teams are actually using the same tools. We try to do the same thing, uh, particularly on the law enforcement side. So uh, are people who are coming to your talk, are they going to learn about what they can do to help either get this information from you or, or supply you with information for, for communication? Hopefully. The uh, impetus of the talk was that there was a lot of activity going on on sharing crime data across uh, borders. Um, OSCE has a, a, a group working on some stuff. The EU has a group working on some stuff. The UN keeps thinking about doing some stuff. And um, like many things, they're all going really slow. But the question was, hey, what state are they in and should I actually care about any of these? Um, you know, like uh, 2012 is the year of the botnet. I mean, every country has a botnet notification system of some kind coming online. And, you know, you're a poor provider. You're going to get 90 copies of a message every morning saying there's one machine's infected. Um, and it would be nice to standardize on some of that stuff. And so the hope is to introduce the... Uh, people come into the couple of the things that are going on and how they can participate or how they could help bring it along or if they've already solved it, how to tell us so we don't have to go off and do it again. Um, and then because we're really big into data sharing stuff, we do our normal, hey, you want to send this data, here's the easiest way to do it. Or you want to take some data, here's the easiest way to do it. Well, with that many different regions trying to develop their own standards and protocols for sharing data, aren't we really just in danger of, of replacing no method of replacing, of exchanging data with a hundred different methods of exchanging data? Well, well, no, but for the wrong reasons. Um, uh, everybody wants to have this you know, group to, to work on sharing data, except it's a hard problem. And so everyone's group has run it really slow. And so that's one of the the things that's going to get the participants a little annoyed at me in my talk was they're going to say, wow, all these people are doing this stuff. And the bad answer is, yeah, none of them are making any progress. So um, trying to figure out how to help that along has been one of the, one of the big uh, challenges. Uh, and what's going to happen, I think, is there's going to be something that comes out pretty close and then it's just going to get adopted because it's there. You know, and, and what's what's the main reason why they're they're taking so long? Is it is it legal reasons or just technical issues? Whenever you talk about sharing data, it's complex because um, people think that you're sharing bad data on them instead of actual honest to goodness crime data. So whenever I go to the EU and talk, somebody stands up and says, "You can't share private data," and I say, "Fine, I have no intention of sharing private data, but if I have." some data on a crime that's going on, 
um, I, I can legally share it with a set of people. And none of the criminals have sued me yet. <laughs> um, and one of the jokes in the, in the U.S. with the law enforcement guys is, um, hey, you know, you may be accused of doing an illegal wiretap. And I say, great. If one of the Russian mobsters wants to come over and serve me with a cease and desist order, I'm more than willing to stand here and talk to the man. Um, and the policeman say, and you're going to call us too? And I say, oh, yeah, you're going to be around me with guns when the man shows up because we've been looking for him for a year. And if he wants to come here and, you know, talk to me, great, we'll find him. But, but a lot of the, the data sharing stuff gets caught into the Microsoft, Google, oh, my God, you're keeping my search results fights. And talking to people and saying, we're not worried about user end data. We're looking for activity kind of stuff. And it makes no sense to ship people lots of crap because you're just going to throw it away. So it has to be good data. Um, and when you start talking down that path, um, you end up mostly convincing people that, yeah, this isn't as bad as, as they expect. And if you can have a pilot running to say, see, this is the kind of stuff we're doing, go to the web page and click here, it then makes uh, life much easier because then they kind of calm down and say, wow, you're not collecting any of the bad stuff I was worried about. Now, where can people outside of FIRST who want to find out more about the work you're doing find it? Uh, the APWG.org website has a plethora of useful stuff. Um, all the data sharing standards we've done and a bunch of operational things and all our reports and everything is there, sometimes buried, but it's always there. Um, and we have an info at APWG.org email address if somebody wants to send a, hey, you know, tell me more about this stuff. And we, because and we go out in, in public in a number of places, and you can accost anybody with their with the green APWG shirt on. Well, one of the things that I know that uh, that you publish on the website is you publish statistics regularly about um, where spam is originating from, and you have a, a top ten ranking of countries which you've been doing over the last couple of years. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, sure. We noticed that uh, particularly in in electronic crime, everybody makes up their own numbers for stuff. Uh, whether it's how much people have lost, you know, due to fraud, or how many, how much spam is out there, or how much phishing is out there, or stuff like that, and it was really hard going and talking to governments and law enforcement guys because they all had the wrong numbers. You know, 800 billion, you know, spam messages came out today, and it's like probably not. <clears throat> so we started just tracking with our friends at ICANN um, where we see phishing stuff happen, and we break it down by the top-level domain. So every country code, you know, .com, .net, .org, all those kind of things. Um, and because we know that .com would always be number one because it's by far the biggest of the top-level domains, uh, we do some scoring to put them into uh, relativity. So once, I think Ireland was number one, and the, the gentleman who runs the Irish registry kind of jumped up and said, how can we be number one? We're this tiny little group. And we said, yeah, but if we measure per number of domains, you were actually really high for a couple of days. Um, and the goal there is not so much to shame people, but actually to let people know what's going on so they can go off and deal with stuff themselves. Um, we've had a couple people who've shown up number one or number two on the list for a couple years, and all of a sudden they drop off. And we ask them why, and they say, well, the bosses finally got fed up enough with being on your list that we made us make some changes. Um, and a lot of the stuff is relatively easy. Uh, a couple years ago, Peru was number one for a six-month period, and the Peruvian guys were really concerned about that, and the registry was very concerned. And we went off and 
did some work with them and found out that they made a change to their website and the crime gangs had figured out how to get around some authentication and are registering lots of domain names. And when they went and fixed their little website again, they fell off the map because they were back down in the noise. And so um, we don't rank them to say, oh, my God, you're so bad, but more of the, hey, you seem to have a problem because you're much worse than these other people are. Uh, and the one thing we try to do is we use data that someone else can come in and actually uh, validate if necessary. So the worst thing about metrics is you stand up and say, I can't tell you how I made this number, but you're a really bad person. Um, you get everybody pissed off at you. If on the other hand you stand up and say, hey, you're number two of the 50 we're checking, and here's the data we used, you can go look for the data yourself if you want to, then people are much more uh, willing to, to actually listen to you and to, and to use your stats. I, I, can't, I can't see how you would say that some vendors might make up stats that are beneficial to them. That just doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, shocking, isn't it? <laughs> um, I was at a conference in Washington, D.C., I know, seven or eight years ago, an anti-spam conference, and I was representing an ISP. And the gentleman stood up in the audience and was a little annoyed at me because 150% of the email on the, on the, on the Internet is spam. And, you know, I'm kind of a math guy, and I kind of look at my hands and go, 150%? And he's like, yes. And I said, more than all the mail is spam? And he was looking at me funny, and I said, let me guess. You're a manufacturer of anti-spam equipment, aren't you? And he's like, yes, we are. We're really good. I said, yeah, no kidding. Okay. <laughs> so so the, the one thing Report has done, which is not what we really wanted, but it just happened, is it's now kind of become an author authoritative type of how good is my top-level domain? You see people who are up there all the time, and then people say, well, I don't really want to buy some domains in that place, because look, they're always at the top of the APWG's list. So we're hoping that drives good things to come out of it. Well, I guess that brings up the question, who's top of the list at the moment? Uh, it's a test question. Uh, it's probably Thailand, because they have been for a while. Um, they have a institutional problem. Um, the Thai cert has told us that in uh, Thailand, if you get money from the government, you're required to have a website. And so people get money for something, and they put up a website, and then the project is over, and they leave. And six or seven months later, somebody breaks into the computer that's got the website on it, and it takes a while to find the computer because nobody actually knows where it is. We've never run into, into servers underneath a, a desktop someplace. Yeah, and, and for a while, you know, we'd say, yeah, Thailand's number one again. And then we had a long talk with some guys from Thai Cert and kind of said, okay, now we understand this. It's okay you're number one. You know, you're replying to them. So let's figure out how to help you out a little better here to see if we can get your numbers down. And the numbers are slowly but surely coming down. Well, Patrick, uh, I think that that brings us to the end of the interview. And, and thank you very much for taking your time out today. Oh, you're welcome. I hope to see you at the show. Oh, you definitely will. You've been listening to the official podcast of the 24th Annual FIRST Conference in Malta. You can find out more about FIRST at www.first.org. See you in Malta. Welcome.